Today's scripture reading is from Matthew chapter 1, verses 2 through 16. One, two, three, four. Abraham had Isaac, Isaac he had Jacob, Jacob he had Judah and his kin. Then Perez and Zerah came from Judah's woman Tamar. Perez he brought Hezron up and then came. Aaron then Abinadad and Nashon who was then the dad of Salmon, who with Rahab fathered Boaz. Ruth, she married Boaz, who had Obed, who had Jesse. Jesse, he had David, who we know as king. David, he had Solomon, by dead Uriah's wife. Solomon, well, you all know him. He had good old Rehoboam, followed by Abijah, who had Asa. Asa had Jehoshaphat, had Jotham, had Josiah, who had Joram, then Ahaz, and Hezekiah. Followed by Manasseh, who had Ammon, who was a man, who was father of a good boy named Josiah. Who grandfathered Jehoiakim, who caused the Babylonian captivity, because he was a liar. Shiatiel, who begat Zerubbabel, who had Eliad, who had Eliakim. Eliakim had Azor, who had Zadok, who had Achim. Achim was the father of Eliadim. He had Eleazar, who had Nathan, who had Jacob. Listen very closely, I don't want to sing this twice. Jacob was the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, the mother of Christ. This is the living word of God for us today. Amen. Thank you, Carl. Big shout out to Andrew Peterson, by the way, his top-notch writing skills for that song. Also, on the banjo, one of our executive pastors, Rob Howard, and his daughter on the violin, uh, Sarah Howard. So more, more family worship this morning. And of course, uh, special thanks to Carl, who had to learn all those words. <laughs> he, he actually texted me yesterday, and he was like, man, I, I, I just can't get that song out of my head. And he said, I'm just trusting that the word of God will never return void. <laughs> so why did Matthew begin his gospel this way? And then we read this today. In fact, you know, like I said, a lot of us just skip over it, but, but Matthew wants us to read it. He had a particular reason for it. And, and I want to just give you three quick reasons why I think Matthew began his gospel. And then I'll talk about how we're going to teach an Advent series from the genealogy of Jesus. Number one, the genealogy places Jesus in real time and space. It's a reminder. And I think Matthew's intentionally saying this is an historical account of a man who had relatives, who had a mother, who had a grandfather, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Number two, validates the identity of Jesus. Now, Jesus was fully God. 
He was also fully man. And so the identity of Jesus, this long-awaited promised Messiah, is exactly who he is. This is what Matthew is saying. In fact, you can go all the way back to Abraham, he's saying, when this promise was made, and it was going on and on and on, and generation and generation has come true in Jesus. And then the third reason is it puts Jesus in his proper place as the culminating person in history. Now, I think Matthew was primarily thinking of Jewish history because he was writing to a Jewish audience, but I would say it puts him in the position as the culminating person of all of history. In fact, you can really go all the way back to Genesis and see how even Genesis itself and the creation account and what happens in the fall is all pointing toward the arrival of Jesus. Now, in our family, we do something every year similar to the genealogy of Jesus. We have what we call the Jesse tree. Anybody ever heard of the Jesse tree? Raise your hand. Some of y'all may do it. Okay, so parents, this is a cool thing. If you've got young kids especially, I'll show you a photo of what we do in our house. Uh, this is our Jesse tree. It's a, a quilt that, that uh, Jody's Aunt Cindy made, and I don't think she takes requests, so I'm not giving out her number. But she made this quilt, and then we have an ornament that we put on. There's 20 ornaments, so we go through it during the month of December, and each one represents a person or event in the Old Testament that pointed to Jesus. So it starts on the bottom left. You see the scroll right there that actually represents the, um, uh, what the Bible says about Jesse, that from the, 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 the shoot of Jesse will spring forth. Of course, Jesse being uh, David's father, King David's father. But then as you go left to right on that bottom, you see the creation of the world and you see Adam and Eve, you see Jacob and Esau and you see Noah and you see Mo uh, uh, Abraham that's on the far right, Abraham looking out in the, in the stars. And then it goes up the next row and you have all these biblical stories. And what we've done for years with our girls is we've said, look, everything in the Old Testament points to the culminating moment of the story, which is Jesus' birth. You see the star at the top. Uh, that, that points to that. This is Matthew's point. This is what he's trying to do. He's just doing it in, a, in this form that he's saying, listen to all the story, listen to the names, let them bring back the images of the Old Testament in your mind as you read and know that it all comes to fullness in Jesus Christ. Jesus is the fullness of God's revelation. Jesus was what everything written in the Old Testament pointed toward. Jesus is what everything written in the New Testament proclaims and celebrates. And even now, even today, 2,000 years later, Jesus is who our very lives find their identity in. He is, go back to our Colossians series earlier, uh, whenever that was. Was that 2020 or 2019? I don't know. This year's been a blur. He said, he is the image of the invisible God. He's the fullness of it all. The genealogy is serving this purpose. Now, Matthew arranged his genealogy in an interesting way. There are three sections to the genealogy that Carl just sang to you. Went by quickly. There's 14 names between uh, Abraham and David. There's 14 names between David and the exile, the Babylonian captivity. And then there are 14 names from the Babylonian captivity until the birth of Jesus. 14 was a very significant number in biblical context. And so what, what Matthew's communicating here is there are no accidents. All of this was planned by God and he's grouping this in a way for us to pay attention. So here's what Lloyd and I have decided to do. We obviously can't tell the stories of all 14 times three names. I haven't even done the math on that. Some of y'all probably, don't worry about it. What we're gonna do instead is we're gonna choose one name from each of the three sections. And we decided to make it fun. Let's choose a name that doesn't get a lot of airplay. You know, let's make these three names of people that are 
critical to the story of, of uh, how the Old Testament led to Jesus Christ, but that maybe don't, or most people don't know a lot about. In fact, we took it even further and we said, let's look for moments in the story where the messianic line, the, the line of Jesus was almost snuffed out, but God intervened because of his promise. And so the story we're going to look at today is one such moment. It is the story of Obed. Look in your Bibles if you haven't opened them already. I invite you to do that to Matthew chapter one. And I want you to look at verses five through six, the first half of six. Here's where we see Obed in the genealogy. And Salmon, by the way, that is Salmon, not Salmon. Carl almost got that wrong on the song, but... Solomon, the father of Boaz by Rahab, and Boaz, the father of Obed by Ruth. Now you might be recognizing some of these names, right? And Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of David the king. So, so you think about it, look back. Obed is the grandfather of David. David, the most important king. David, the, the one that, you know, the, the prophet said that, that forever will be a king on the throne of David. You know, thinking of Jesus Christ himself. Jesus was described as from the line and lineage of David, from the house of David. David's a big deal. Therefore, Obed is a big deal, was David's grandfather. But Obed is most associated with the story of Ruth. In fact, the only time we meet Obed in our scripture is a few verses at the end of the book of Ruth. Now, the story of Ruth is one that would have been told, you know, from generation to generation. It's an important story. It's a beautiful story in the Old Testament, one of my favorites. And I want you to hear this story told in the way that I think most ancient Hebrews would have heard it told from a mother or from a father telling them this story. And so here's what we're going to do. I, I'm, I'm going to read a summary of the story of Ruth, which is a story of redemption. And I'm going to read the version um, that one of our pastors, Dan Vorm, wrote a few years ago. What Dan did was he, he sat down to a kind of imagine a, a Jewish mother telling the story of Naomi and Ruth and Boaz and Obed to her young child. And he did such a beautiful job. I thought, what a wonderful way to tell the story of Obed this morning. And I'm going to read this. It'll take just a few minutes. Then after that, we're going to turn to the book of Ruth and we're going to dig into some of the specific passages in that book that are going to lead us to the hope. The hope that was uh, fulfilled in that time in the birth of Obed and fulfilled much later in the birth of Obed's ancestor, Jesus Christ. And we'll connect this to our own story. So here's the story of little Obed. Mama, can you tell me the story of little Obed again, said the young boy, bounding into his mother's lap. His mother swept him up in her arms and kissed his forehead. His skin was cool to her touch as he'd just washed his face and was ready for bed. You like that story, don't you? She said, okay, quickly, and then into bed you go. The boy nestled into his mother's embrace as she began the familiar tale. Now you'll remember, she started. The story begins when an Israelite couple... Naomi and her husband, Elimelech, left our land because of famine, taking their two boys to go and live in Moab. But mama, wasn't that a mistake? Wasn't Moab Israel's enemy? Yes, that's right, she said. God had told our ancestors to have nothing to do with the Moabites, 
but the family moved there anyway. And for a while, things went fine. The family survived and the boys grew up and got married. Then one day, Elimelech died. And soon, the boys died too. As you can imagine, Naomi was very sad and very angry because of her loss. I don't like that part, Mama. She must have been very lonely, said the boy. He gripped his mother's arm tightly. Yes, I'm sure he was, sure she was, said the mother. But now we see how God cares for Naomi in her great need. She heard the famine in Israel had finally ended, so she decided to move back home. To her surprise, her daughter-in-law Ruth insisted on going with her. The two of them, both of them needy widows, made the journey back to Bethlehem. They didn't have someone to watch over them, did they, said the boy. Well, without a husband or father to provide for them, they could have easily starved, but God took care of them in ways they never expected. For instance, when Ruth went out to glean scraps of grain behind those who harvested in the fields, she found herself in the field of Boaz, who was Naomi's relative, Boaz spoke kindly to Ruth and gave her grain. In fact, he made sure that Naomi and Ruth had plenty to eat. God provided for them, didn't he? exclaimed the boy. Yes, he did. After some time, Boaz and Ruth fell in love and he took the role of being a redeemer for Naomi and Ruth, meaning he would marry Ruth as well as care for Naomi the rest of her days. That must have made Naomi very glad, said the boy. She wasn't bitter and angry anymore, was she, Mama? No, not at all, said the mother, especially when Ruth had a little baby boy whom Naomi could bounce on her knees, which made her very, very happy. Obed, squealed the boy. Yes, that's right. Obed was the baby born to Boaz and Ruth. He became the father of Jesse, who became the father of King David, and you, my child, are from the line of David. The little boy's eyes had grown heavy. By the time she carried him to his mat and laid him softly down for the night, he was sound asleep. She leaned in to kiss his cheek and whispered ever so quietly, yes, my young Jesus, like Boaz, you are redeemer. Like David, you are Israel's king. Thank you, Dan Vorm, for that wonderful telling of the story of Ruth and connecting it to the story of Jesus. Now, there are a few things in there I want us to dig into and then apply it to our lives because there is so much in this story. And by the way, there's an incredible connection to the Christmas story here. And it's not just the fact that Obed was an ancestor in the line that eventually led to Jesus. So go ahead and now turn to the book of Ruth. And we'll look at just a few passages together. We're gonna pick it up in verse 16, which is the very moment that Ruth is going to um, very adamantly tell her mother-in-law, I am not leaving you. Some of you will recognize these verses. Let's look at Ruth 1, verses 16 and 17. But Ruth said, do not urge me to leave or return from following you. For where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people. Your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. May the Lord do so to me and more, if anything but death parts me from you. 
Now here's what's going on here. Ruth is not a Hebrew. She's from Moab. She had her own family. She had her own gods. She had her own way of worshiping. But she's telling Naomi, I'm going to convert to your faith. I'm going to be with you. I'm going to stay with you. I'm going to be like a true daughter to you. It was putting Ruth at great risk because Naomi did not have a lot of prospects. Naomi didn't have a lot of hope. It was much more likely that Ruth would find another husband in her home country. Instead, she decides to go with Naomi. And, and this is the very first good thing that happens to Naomi in the story. You have to understand how bad off Naomi was. In that culture, to be an unmarried, childless woman puts you out of the social system. And, and, and I know that all kinds of things that come to our mind today about how, how many objections we would have to the way the life worked back then. And they would be good and right objections, many of them. But the way the society functioned at that time, there was no way for a woman to provide for herself. You could not do that in that society. And so unless you were attached to a patriarch, either a father, if you were still young, or a husband, then you were completely at the mercy of people to care for you. There were no social systems. There were no safety nets. There were no structures for this uh, in, in the communities around them. So Naomi was very, very vulnerable. And she was kind of at the bottom of the bottom. The closest equivalent I could come to today would be a homeless person. That's where Naomi found herself. And so she thinks that the best plan for me is to go back to my homeland and, and, and maybe a distant relative will have pity on me and take care of me somehow. And so for Ruth to say, I'm going with you was extremely remarkable. Now, look at what happens when they arrive home. Let, let's pick it up in chapter one, verse 19. So the two of them went on until they came to Bethlehem. Of course, you know, Naomi is home, but this is a foreign land to Ruth. And when they came to Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the women said, is this Naomi? She said to them, do not call me Naomi, call me Mara, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went away full and the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has testified against me and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me? In that culture, a name was so much more than just what you're called by. It was kind of the core of who you are, your identity. Naomi's name means pleasant. She feels she can no longer identify with that identity. She says, call me Mara. Mara means bitter. She says, I went away full. I've come back empty. I went away pleasant. I've come back bitter. She's essentially saying, the Lord has dealt harshly with me. And by the way, I do not think God was angry at her in this moment. She had suffered immense loss. God could have intervened in a number of ways. He could have kept the famine from coming. He could have kept her husband alive. He could have kept her sons alive. Yet he has a significant plan yet for Naomi. So chapter one ends and the question is, how will these two women survive? What is the hope for these women? Now, the book of Ruth takes place in the time of the judges. What we know about the time of the judges was it was that in-between time that the Hebrew people had been led through the wilderness into the promised land, but they weren't really a nation yet. They didn't have a king. They didn't have, you know, society hadn't really been established. In fact, what we learned in the Bible about the time of the judges was it was a time when every person did what they saw right in their own eyes. They had the law of Moses, but few were 
abiding and living by the law of Moses. Now, hidden in the law of Moses, there was this stipulation of how to care for the poor, the widows, those that were marginalized in the society. And it was this, when you harvest your crop, you were to specifically leave the leftovers, not for the second round of workers to come through and you know pick all the bones clean so you can make a bigger profit, but you were to leave what was left over after the first pass for the poor to come behind you and glean. Naomi's hope could only be that there would be someone left in Bethlehem that would still be living according to the law of Moses and not doing what was right in their own sight. And we get a little hint, this little beautiful foreshadowing, the very last sentence of chapter one. If you've got your Bible open, just take a look at it. We won't put this one on the screen. It says, and they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. Beautiful foreshadowing. They left when it was famine. Now they've come back and it's the beginning of the harvest. Will there be an individual who will live out the call of God to provide for the poor. Ruth begins to glean in the fields. God leads her to a very important individual in the story, a man named Boaz. And of course he shows her kindness and she comes home with all this barley and even some leftover lunch that Boaz himself had given to Ruth. And Ruth had had more than she'd needed. So she brought it home to her mother-in-law and look at verse 19. So the two of them went on until they came to Bethlehem and, and we're still in, um, no, that's the wrong one. Uh, chapter two, verse 19, sorry. Chapter two, verse 19, her mother-in-law said to her, this is once Ruth has returned home from her first day of gleaning. Where did you glean today? And where have you worked? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. So she told her mother-in-law with whom she had worked and said, the man's name with whom I work today is Boaz. And Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, may he be blessed of the Lord whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. Naomi also said to her, the man is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers. What does that mean? Uh, Depending on what English translation you're reading, it might say kinsman redeemer. It might say family redeemer. It might even say guardian or protector. Again, a, a little known part of the law of Moses was that if someone in your extended family, in your clan, so to speak, were to come upon hard times and had to sell off a piece of property to pay a debt, or in the case of Naomi, if if a husband died and, and left a woman without any other means or a family without any other means, then someone else from that extended family, maybe an uncle or a cousin or someone close in the extended family, were to buy back that field that had to be sold or were to marry the woman that was left without any prospects and any hope and redeem them. In other words, bring them back into the family. They were meant to be the family redeemer. But again, this was a time when everyone did what was right in their own eyes. Naomi's hope begins to be kindled that maybe God has led you to a good man, a man of the word, a man of God. And of course, over time, it gets good. You know, the, the way that Dan told it in the story is, is Ruth and Boaz fall in love. And I'd say, yes, it was something like that. I don't know exactly how that all worked back then. There's some unusual traditions. And what happens is in chapter three, um, Naomi plays matchmaker and she tells Ruth to, to go to Boaz at night when he's on the threshing floor. And, and there's this interesting cultural exchange where she lays down at his feet. And we don't know all that this means, but what we know is Boaz interprets it this way. He interprets it as a woman who is saying, if you will have me, Boaz, 
I am willing to be your wife. And Boaz's response is, would you choose me, an older man, when you could marry someone younger? And he praises Ruth. And so the story of redemption becomes complete when Boaz marries Ruth. And of course, they have a child. And this is where we meet Obed. So now let's look at our final passage in the book of Ruth. Ruth chapter 4. We'll read verses 13 to 17. So Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife and he went into her and the Lord gave her conception and she bore a son. Then the women said to Naomi, blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a redeemer and may his name be renowned in Israel. He shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age for your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons has given birth to him. And Naomi took the child and laid him on her lap and became his nurse. And the women of the neighborhood gave him a name saying, a son has been born to Naomi. They, call, they named him Obed. Obed means worshiper. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. I don't know if you caught this, but at the end of the story, they're not talking about Boaz the Redeemer. They're talking about Obed the Redeemer. Now, how is it that Obed becomes the Redeemer? Well, think about it from Naomi's perspective. We don't know exactly how old Boaz was, but he may have been closer to Naomi's age than he was to Ruth's age. We know he was certainly older than, than Ruth. And, and from that perspective, the birth of a son to her daughter-in-law Ruth means there is now generational hope for this family. That there is an individual who will continue, who will not only care for Naomi and Ruth up into their old age, but will bring forth more descendants, that this clan will survive, that this family, that the, the name of Elimelech, the dead husband, will persist in this. This is very significant in their culture. And so I want to put this all together for you, and I want you to think about how desperate Naomi was at the start of the story and how little by little God begins to build her hope. First, by giving her Ruth, a faithful daughter-in-law who stays with her, even though it was, was incredible and somewhat even foolish, some would say, for Ruth to stay with Naomi. Then brings her back home, gives her provision through the generosity of Boaz, then provides a husband for the daughter-in-law, and then provides a grandson for Naomi. I mean, this blessing just keeps going on and on and on and on. This is a story of God meeting a woman in the pit of desperation and slowly rebuilding her faith in God's provision. This is a story of God turning a bitter woman back into pleasant again, restoring Naomi's faith. It's a story of Naomi. It's a story of her transformation. The book of Ruth is a story of loss and restoration, a story of redemption and hope. And Obed's birth is the culminating moment of a great story of redemption. By the way, I love redemption stories. My favorite kinds of movies are redemption stories. I, we, we, just, we just watched um, Les Mis. I was thinking about Les Mis because I used it as a sermon illustration a month or two ago. And, and my um, 16, newly 16-year-old 16 daughter was talking to us about Les Mis. Can I watch Les Mis? So we just watched with her. And I, I love the, um, you know, uh, the musical one that was released a couple years ago. I know some of you, you know, like, don't like that one guy's singing, which I agree with you on that. But the other guy's singing is great. All right. So anyway, we watched this with her. 
And it got to the end, and I'm, I'm such a softie for stuff like this because I couldn't, she was like, Dad, how, you know, let's talk about the movie. And I was like, no, I can't talk about the movie. I'm just a mess. I had to leave the room. I went downstairs in our bathroom, and I just like cried. And I thought, God, why? Why is this story moving me so much? And it's redemption. It's redemption. And I thought about this with Obed, and I thought, why was Obed's birth such a big deal? Guys, Stories of redemption stir hope. That's what they do. This is a woman, Naomi, whose life was as good as over. And yet the end of the story, she's got a baby on her knee. There's hope here, you see. And I want you to understand this is all a foreshadowing of the Christmas story. I want you to think about this. A baby born to a people desperate for hope that changes their circumstances, it changes their life, it changes their world, it changes their outlook. Obed, worshiper, from uh, um, pleasant to, to bitter, back to pleasant again, and then ultimately the spotlight goes on worship. Now think about Jesus, a baby born to a people desperate for hope, who is the true worshiper of Yahweh, the true servant, the true one who had come to rescue the world. So here's how I want to close our time. I, I thought of three lessons of hope from this story because is this not a year that we all need hope? So what are three lessons of hope from Advent 2020? We'll, we'll put these on the screen. The, the, the first one just, just starts like this. Our first lesson of hope. Most of the time our hopes are too small. I think that's a lesson that we can learn from this story. I, I, I want to illustrate something for you. And so I'm going to see if I can do this on the iPad. I, I want to draw the, the story arc of Naomi's story, okay? She, she starts over here in chapter one. She's got a husband. She's got two sons, but there's a famine. And the famine's the first bad turn. And then they have to leave the hometown and, and go to a foreign land. That's not good either. And so they start here. Well, then what happens? She loses her husband. She loses her two boys. I can't even go any further. I'm hitting the bottom of the screen. Like she's as low as you can go in that society. So here's what happens with Naomi's story art. The first thing that happens is Ruth, right? That takes her back up to here. But still, she can't imagine that she could ever be restored to where she was at the start of her story. The greatest hope that Naomi can have most of the way through the story is, is, is maybe I'll, I'll get back to survival mode. You know, maybe somewhere right around here is I'll be able to survive. But guys... Look what God had in store for her story. So right here is when she says, don't call me pleasant, call me bitter, right? And then what happens? Oh my goodness, Boaz, and then marriage, and then a grandson. Oh, it goes off the chart. What's so remarkable about Naomi's story is after she dies, it really gets good. Who could imagine that Naomi's great, great grandson would be the king and not just any king, the king the greatest king Israel would ever have. Who could imagine that a thousand years later, Naomi's great, 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 you know, great times 14 times 14, whatever, would be the savior of the world. Guys, here's the lesson in this. Naomi's hopes 
or that her circumstances might change, that she might be able to survive. Maybe, maybe I could get back close to where I left, possibly, and be pleasant again. Oh, my goodness. Look at God's expectations for her. Look, look at the way he redeemed her story. Most of the time, our hopes are too small. You can take that off the screen. No. Boaz was a redeemer in the sense that he could provide for Naomi and Ruth and bring them back into the family. But who is the capital R redeemer? It's God. God is the one. Boaz is pointing to God. Ultimately, Obed is pointing to Jesus Christ, the true redeemer. Most of the time, our hopes are too small. What are your hopes for 2021? They're too small. Would Jesus come back? Jesus, would you come back and make all things right? Would you restore the mess? Would you restore the brokenness? That takes us to the second lesson. Here it is. Biblical hope. Biblical hope is not too small. In fact, biblical hope is the expectation for the redemption of all things. That's biblical hope. All things, guys. Not just a pa pandemic would go away or a vaccine would work. And, and by the way, I, I definitely hope that those things happen. Not just that we all get employed back and we have jobs and these kinds of things. Not just that our, our children would be reconciled with us or that, that, that the pain of these circumstances would go away. Oh no, biblical hope is the expectation that all things will be made new. That's where the story is heading. It's off the chart it's more than you can imagine. And you might not see it in your lifetime, but if you put your faith in Jesus, you will see all things made new. You will see the redemption of all things. Here's what this means. God does not waste pain. Whatever loss you have had in 2020, and I know there are people right now listening to my voice in the room or online that are in the middle of bitter loss. God will not waste it. In Romans chapter eight, Paul reminds us, all things, all things work together for good for those who love God and who are called according to his purpose. And if you're out there thinking, is that me? Do I love God? Am I called according to his purpose? Let me just say this. If you are here this morning or watching online as someone who has put your faith in Jesus Christ for your salvation, you are called according to his purpose. You are one of these that Paul was writing about. And so here's what that means. Jesus will not waste a thing. He will not waste your loss. He will not waste your pain. He will not waste your bitterness. Biblical hope is the expectation for the redemption of all things. Last lesson from our story this morning. For those looking for hope, you will always find it in the person of Jesus. If he really is, as Matthew wants us to see in this genealogy, the culminating person if he really is, as Paul instructed us in the book of Colossians, the center of all things, if he really is, as the Christmas story would tell us, 
the savior of the world, born to rescue us, born to redeem us, born to make all things new in a future eternity. If he really is all of those things, well, he's the only person to go to for hope. Some of you are in a very low place and I want to speak to you for just a few minutes with empathy and compassion. Your year has not been pleasant. It has been bitter. And I don't know all the circumstances, but I know some of your stories. And I want you to think about Advent a little differently this year, all right? There's a lot of parties you're not gonna be going to. There's a lot of things that you would normally have on your calendar, you know, kids concerts and other things. You're just, you're not going to be, you've got some space on the calendar that you did not have in Advent's past. Here's how I want to encourage you to do with this space. I want to encourage you to direct your gaze toward that one. The only one where you can find hope. Now, what does that look like to direct your gaze toward the only one you can find hope? Here's what it means practically if you're at a low point in your story, if you're at a bitter place as Naomi was in her story. It means lay your crushed dreams and your brokenheartedness at the foot of the baby. You say, here it is, Jesus. Just start having a conversation with him. And here's what Jesus promised. Do you actually believe the words of Jesus? You don't have to answer this right now, but in your heart of hearts, I just want you, some of you do, some of you don't. Do you actually believe the words of Jesus? Let me read some words of Jesus for you to hold on to this morning. Matthew 11. Here's what Jesus said. This baby said this when he grew up. Come to me, all of you who are weary, all of you who are burdened, come to me and I will give you rest. Are you a follower of Jesus? Then follow Jesus. Do what he said. He said, come. He said, come to me. If you're weary, if you're burdened, come to me. And then he says, he says take my yoke. Now, you, know, you got to think about what a yoke was. Like, okay, this was an animal plowing the field, you put the yoke on him, you put the weight on him. He says, he says, trade your yoke, which is heavy, for my yoke, which is light. He says, take my yoke upon you, learn from me. And then he describes his own heart. The only place in the scripture where we get a direct description of the heart of God, he says, for I am gentle and humble in heart. Here's what that means. Jesus is open-hearted for anyone who is heavy anyone who is burdened, anyone who is crushed, anyone who is weighed down, he says, come, I'm here for you. You come to me. You come to me. You trade your burden for mine. And then he goes on in verse 30 of Matthew 11, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Guys, I think sometimes we mean coming to Jesus means we've got to get all of our stuff fixed and get all clean and and holy. And then we can come to Jesus. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible says, come in the middle of your stuff. Come with your sin weariness and your broken heartedness and your shattered dreams and come and give it to me. And look what he's offering us. He's offering us rest. He's offering us lightness of heart. Do you believe it? 
Have you taken these words seriously? Have you come to him? Have you come to him in 2020? I, I mean, really come to him. Have you come to him yet this month, this week, this day? Come to the Son of God. Offer to him everything you're carrying and find rest for your soul. And so I want to lead us there. And this is how we're going to close our service. So we're just going to pray. We've heard God's word. We've heard a story of redemption. Let it stir us to hope. We've heard the direct words of Jesus to anyone that is weary and heavy laden to come. You don't have to get right first. Just come. And I want to give you an opportunity to come. Let's bow our heads together. Father, as I start this prayer, I just pray may the words that have been heard this morning be from you and not from me. May they be from your heart by your spirit speaking through our text this morning. I pray for those that, that even when they heard those words of Jesus, there was something in them that, that pulled them to him, that, that just made them want, them want to come to him that, that thing that, that pulled them is your spirit. And so would you keep pulling them to you? And Father, I pray on their behalf because my, my guess is many don't actually know what it means to come to Jesus. And so, Father, I pray that you would help them. Help them to lay it all down just to talk to you about what is heavy to ask you to hold it with them. Many hearing my voice have not asked you yet, would you take this heaviness? And so I pray, Father, even in this moment, would you give them the faith to do that right now? And Father, I thank you for this heart of Jesus that never ceases to amaze us, that's just so wide open for the suffering and the sinner. And I pray, Father, that we would all take our bitterness right now and just give it to you, that we would find our stories in the story of Naomi, that we would all identify with a woman who had suffered greatly and couldn't understand why. And I pray, Father, that you would use this story of redemption even this morning to build in us hope, hope that our, our, our stories have, have far more to come than what we could ever predict or imagine or even hope for. That, that, e that even whatever happens in the rest of our, our lives, there's this greater earth that we will live on where all things will be new. Relationships with estranged children will somehow be redeemed that the pain of loss and death will be redeemed. That financial struggles and, and hurt, broken relationships and anger and rage in our souls will somehow be redeemed. We hope for that day. Just as we look backward and thank you for the first advent, we look forward and we call out, bring your second advent, Jesus, come again. Would you? We long for you. Our hope is in you always in you. And I pray that we would be true sons and daughters of God in this Advent season, looking to Jesus for our rest. 
It's in his name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Happy Advent to you. Merry Christmas and have a great week.